I should say that um, Maury, you might know him, some of you, uh, more as Peter Kastner's dad. And Maury, I think you started this whole thing when you were still working full-time, and I know you still do work quite a bit. I mean, you retire, but God can take you where you're at. So the important thing is to listen to what he might be telling you. Um, I, I would like for you just to also know this. We don't want to just talk about what the Word of God is doing in Africa. We really believe that through the Word of God, you meet the living person of God, Jesus Christ. And, and so we're encouraging our own body, people within our church congregation, to get involved. We're doing a proverb study, and we're handing out these journals. Some of you may have been here a couple of weeks ago where we had some guys shared about how they went through a six-week process where they went through Proverbs. And we're hoping that if you're in a small group, you might think about doing that Proverbs study, or if you're not and you would like to see you know, could this be something that could really bring a change in my life that you would sign up for that? And so um, Shelly and Steve McKendry, who are directors of adult ministries, would love to help you more in that. If you want to know more about that, please just contact the office and just say, I'm interested in that Proverbs study. I'd like to be a part of a group for six weeks and make this a part of my life. That would be our, our hope because we're talking about deep change. And, and deep change involves the ability to, to see yourself and to see yourself the way God sees you. I mean, that's kind of critical to any kind of change that's ever going to take place in anyone's life. And so whenever you see stories of deep change, uh, specifically as we have been looking at the Bible, you find that uh, people have to have an encounter where they begin to start seeing themselves as God does and gets real about that. And then as they begin to do that, they invite God into their experience to bring about the kind of change that only God can bring. And so I invite you to kind of open your heart and to hear this story. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. It's in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. So if you want to grab a Bible and follow along, it'll be hard as I read it from the Message. Otherwise, just kind of watch it appear. But it says in this story, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. And he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus did, and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I mean, if this man was a prophet, he's thinking, like I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. 
You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins. And so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then Jesus spoke to her. I forgive your sins. That's the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is? Forgiving sin? Can can you believe that? That I mean, only God, we all know, only God forgives sin. I just can't believe that God, this is Jesus, Jesus God. Can you hear that kind of murmuring? He ignored them. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, I would really ask that um, we, can, we, we come here today on either of those places. Either having a, an understanding of our debt or little understanding. Either with great love and gratitude or with little understanding of our need to be grateful. And I'm going to ask the Spirit of God that as I speak and through the words that are spoken, you would speak to all our hearts, mine as well, and help us see just how much we can be grateful for. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to share with you this story and set it into a few scenes, okay? Because it's really important that you understand this story in a, in a context of what was actually going on. And I'm going to use the New International Version to kind of share this as we go through some of the verses. And the first scene that I would, I would just call it, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? I mean, verses 36 to verse 38. It, it, it'd be the title that I'd give for it. How many remember the 1967 movie by that title? Hey, some of you date yourself here. Um, if not, it starred Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, big names at one time, in a breakout role for a young black actor named Sidney Poyer. And it's about a daughter of a well-to-do white family who comes home from a vacation to announce her intentions of marrying a well-to-do black physician. Now you go, well, a big deal. Well, it was a big deal then. It was in the middle of the civil rights when this movie was shown, when it was made and shown. It was, you know, Martin Luther King was going around the country uh, proclaiming that there's a dream that someday we would be judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. There was this huge hope that somehow we wouldn't be looking at the surface things of race, but we begin to look deep into the hearts and see people as people. And it was so hard for a nation that had been steeped in a sense that your skin color meant that somehow you had some advantages, something that was better, and it was justified by Scripture and everything else. And then you read a story like this, and I want to share with you this story was no less shocking in that day, in that age, when Jesus was going around Israel, when people had based their Scripture on those who seemed to look good and seemed to be really loving God, and there was a whole group. And then there was a group of people, when you looked at them, they had no sense of love. They were in big debt before God. They wouldn't even... They were the sinners. And Jesus... 
I think is so incredible, you guys, when I think about the way he responded in this story, which is an actual historical event. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. Jesus did and reclined at the table. The invitation, I just wonder, could it be that maybe he got a glossy postcard at the headquarters of the Jesus Ministries that said you're invited to, or maybe what happened was someone came to Peter and said, you know, the administrative assistant came to Peter because Peter looked like the spokesman and said, you know, we're really interested in having Jesus come and Jesus. And Peter goes, oh, you know what? Bartholomew is the guy who takes care of the speaking events and dinner and you know, reservations for Jesus in the ministry. So talk, you know, administrator, go find our administrative assistant. Or could it be that what happened after one time when Jesus was speaking, this Pharisee was standing there and going, wow, this guy, this guy's this is interesting. I, I wonder about him. Maybe, maybe. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, you know, Jesus says, just wanted, you know, introduce himself. Just want to let you know I'm throwing a party. A couple other rabbis that you might know are going to be in the area. We're going to be in town Friday night. We'd love for you to come. So somehow, you know, that's how my mind works. What's going on here? Jesus is invited. And you have to understand as he reclines at the table. You see, if you don't understand this um, and understand what I would call a first century picture of what's going on, you won't see and you won't really grasp what happens in the story. We, we get this idea and you think of maybe the uh, Last Supper where everyone's sitting around a table. Remember that? Where everyone's sitting around, they, they sat like this so you could get a good picture, right? And you get this picture of them all sitting around. And when you think about that, you, you we're told that he's sitting reclining at a table and we think of chairs, but that's not really what it looked like. It says a woman in the town who lived this sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him. You get this picture if you're thinking of this, that she has to somehow crawl into the tablecloth and she's trying to get to his feet. And, and that doesn't make sense, does it? So really, you have to understand a picture of what's going on. And, and this is much more what it looked like. They would actually recline. They'd lay out on pillows and there would be like a table. And sometimes they would have kind of these S-cur kind of tables where they'd sit around. And it helps you understand, if you understand what was happening in that context. Because at one point, we're told in the, in the Gospel of John that Jesus laid his head back on the chest of the one he loved, who was John himself. And so you get this picture of him. Well, if you're thinking of sitting at a table, it's a pretty weird thing, isn't it, to see Jesus going like this? If you don't get the picture of what's going on, you don't really get the picture fully of what we're going to see happen here in just a moment. So we're told that Jesus lays his head back, and it makes a lot more sense because he lays it back as they're sitting like this, and he says, to, he whispers to John, the person who's dipping his... You see, get the picture? So when you get this picture, here's Jesus laying out. Here is this woman, it tells us, who comes in. This woman finds out that there's been an invitation, that Jesus has been invited to it. Somehow something significant has happened in her life. There has been some deep change. The Word of God through Jesus Himself. Jesus has somehow brought deep change. She has somehow seen herself for who she is. And God transformed her. She knows it came through this Jesus. So she comes into this room and she's standing there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And you have to also understand this was not some small gift. This was an expensive perfume. 
we're told at one other point later in the ministry of Jesus when he's at the house of Mary and Martha. So he's at the house of Mary and Martha. And it says that Mary comes with an alabaster jar of perfume and she anoints him with this expensive perfume, pours it on his feet. And there's one disciple who's laying over there who's not real happy with what's happened because he's thinking, look at all that money could have been given to the poor. And Jesus defends her. But here, this is this is before, earlier in his ministry. Here's a woman. She comes with this jar of perfume. We don't know how she got through the guy who's you know, signing off the guest list, but she comes through, breaks through. She crashes the party. And she sees Jesus. She walks up to where he's at and she's overwhelmed with love for what's happened in her heart. And tears begin to pour down her face and they begin to fall down onto his feet. And they're just pouring there. See, I think she really came to do a more dignified thing. She brought this expensive perfume because one of the things you would do for people who are rabbis, who are people who are holy people, you would come and you would take his perfume oil and you would pour it on their head as a way of kind of anointing them in a holy kind of anointing way. I think she came to do that. And the reason I think she did is because she didn't have any towel. And if she was really coming to pour it on his feet, she would have probably said to the servant, give me a towel. She would have brought a towel. She doesn't. She comes before him. She's standing there. She's seeing her tears fall on his feet. And as they fall onto his feet, you see the dirt that's on his feet. He hadn't washed his feet. She notices that. No one had washed his feet like you would normally do for a guest of honor. And she sees the dirt kind of as you see it pull off. And as she sees it, she gets down on her knees out of deep love. She takes not the hem of her garment... She's down on her knees and she takes her hair and she begins to wipe her hair with on his feet to wash it off. And as she does that, she takes the perfume, which probably was meant for his head, and she begins to pour it on his feet because that's the place she could be to give her greatest sense of love. Now, we, we listen to the story and some of you, you've read this as kids in school, in, in Sunday school. You've heard this story before. Imagine being there and what you might... Can you imagine if I'm preaching and a woman that you know of ill repute comes into the sanctuary starts hugging me on the legs and says, what would you think? I'm at a dinner party and someone... I mean, this looks really a bit odd. Almost sensual. I just love Jesus. He is so tuned into the heart of the people around him. He doesn't care what people are thinking about, uh, about himself. Where are you at with that even, calling deep change into your life? How many are really concerned with what other people are thinking about you all the time? Rather than about the heart of the person and more concerned about the way that God is in line with your heart. Well, so this is going on and, 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 I, and, and the next scene... Oh, here's the real kicker, too, is, is this is this is not I, I was writing this. This is no prim and proper housewife. This is no business woman trained in the matters of sexual harassment. This is no church lady like you might remember on SNL. This was a harlot, probably a well-paid woman of the night, possibly running an escort service because she was wealthy. And here's one thing we know. Jesus deeply changed her life and she felt compelled to respond. And like Maury said here earlier, was saying, my heart has been touched by you, whatever you want, here I am. I owe you my life, my love, my allegiance. 
And so I wrote the next scene, I think, is someone struggling. It's just verse 39, because when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he says to himself. Now, I want you to note this. It is no one is saying anything. It's one of those, you know, silences that we would go with awkward, right? But everyone's talking in their head like you are right now. And they're all talking in their head, but Simon specifically, Jesus hears. And Simon's thinking, yeah, just what I thought, this guy's no prophet. What you know what? I you know what, this 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 is it. I mean, if he would know who's at his feet, he'd be as appalled at her as I am. I mean, he would be judging, condemning her just like me. And what I think is so interesting is Jesus not only knows what kind of woman she is. Contrary to what Simon's, or the Pharisee's thinking, but he also knows what kind of heart she has. And here's the other thing: beyond all that, he also knows what kind of person this Pharisee is, and he also knows what kind of heart he has. Jesus, this is scary, folks. He sees into your heart right now. None of you are playing games with him. You might think, well, the secret, the sin that you have in your life is a secret. It isn't. He sees it. You may think that everyone around you really is in, you know, looks at you and goes, wow, what a holy person. They must really love God. He sees whether that's true or not. So Simon's struggling and Jesus calls it out. It's kind of interesting because verses 40 through 43 is what I call just story time. Jesus goes, hey, Simon, can I tell you a story? So he's thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay the guy back, so he forgave their debts. Who do you think is more, is, is more grateful? Who do you think is the guy who's going around promoting the bank that this guy is banking at? Right? Who do you think is the guy who's saying, I just love those, this guy, you can't believe what he, who's the guy? It's the guy who had the huge debt. It's the guy who understands his debt. It's the guy who realizes that he was so in debt that he couldn't get the money to pay it off. Even though they both couldn't, according to what the story is, the one guy really knew it. And so he says, yeah, I guess it's the guy with the bigger debt. I get the picture. And Jesus says, guess what? You've judged correctly. What I think is really interesting about this story is the point of the story is, is that um, Jesus is really making it clear to him that, you know what, Jesus, when I, I said a few Sundays back when I was preaching this, I, I said John 3.16 is a wonderful verse because it tells us for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's the one that we watch all the time on football games, right? You see him at sports events? And then John 3.17 is a great verse because it goes on. It says, for God did not send the son into the, into the world to condemn the world, but to save those who are willing and open to seeing they had this huge debt and need to be saved. But what we don't read, and I didn't read, is going on from verses 18 through 21 is this, that it says here in these verses as well. It says, whoever believes in him understands the truth of it is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in this Jesus and the truth that is a light of who he is and what he sheds and exposes, that person stands condemned. Not that Jesus is condemning him, that the truth exposes their heart. So what's really interesting is this guy, Jesus doesn't condemn him, he just tells him a story and the guy with his own words condemns himself. Isn't that interesting? 
Every one of us, in that sense, are condemned by the truth. Our actions, or in this case, you'll notice, lack of actions, condemn us. John's Gospel says it this way, Through Jesus, God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they weren't really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates the light Jesus brings and won't come near it, fearing painful exposure of their hearts. You see, here's a guy, you look at him and go, but he's pretty good, he must love Jesus a lot, he's a Pharisee, he follows all these laws, etc. And Jesus looks at him and goes, your heart's so little in love with me. And here's how I'll show you it is. It's not by all that you do, but it's by the lack that's in your heart. He says to him, as he turns to him, here's what I call Jesus brings out the spotlight. Verse, the scene four, verses 44 through 50. Then he turns towards a woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't wash my feet, but she's poured tears on them and, and she's wiped them with her hair. You didn't even so much as give me a greeting, the kiss of greeting, which was very common that day when you would come and a person of, of some substance and dignity would walk into your place. One of the things you'd do is you'd give them a greeting, a, a kind of a bow and a kiss, and, and you would welcome them. But you didn't even do that. And here she is. She's not just giving me a greeting. She's kissing my feet. And beyond that, you didn't even refresh me. You didn't give me, a, you know, the handy wipes. And she's putting perfume all over my hair. Jesus doesn't even have to condemn your lack of action, Simon, to the Pharisee. Reveal your heart. You've condemned yourself through your own actions. And Jesus is quite clear. I have come bringing God's light on your heart so you can see your own sin. You can admit it. You can repent and humbly ask your Heavenly Father to keep shining His holy light upon your heart. But I've got to tell you, for a person who thinks you're good, for any person, especially church people, who have been in the church for a long time, who think in a sense, you know, I, I've been really good. You know, I don't really... And you're looking out here when you're not seeing the lack in your own heart... It's really easy to not want to be exposed to the light of the truth and to see the things that's in your heart. And so we go on and you read the story and he says, therefore, I want to tell you something really important happened here. Her many sins have been forgiven. And as a result of that, she goes, shows just a lot of love. Anyone who's been forgiven little shows little love to others. Isn't that interesting? Not to get to others is what scripture says. Love is revealed to a person who understands forgiveness. And then Jesus says to her, and I want you to catch this, this is important. He doesn't say your, your love is what saves you. He looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says this, as they begin to mutter and, come and complain. And, he, and I don't want you to confuse this. It's not her love that saves her. He says, your faith has saved you. You catch that? Your belief in me, in my grace, in my goodness in the midst of the fact of your sin and even how big your debt is. It's your grace, it's your belief in the fact that I have more than enough provision to cover your sin that saves you. But the other guy doesn't have any... He, if you can't get in touch with what's really in your heart, you will not need a Savior. You'll want a helper. You'll want a self-helper. But the Scripture is really clear. The people that invite the power of God to bring about transformation in the depths of the heart are the ones who say, Spirit of God, I don't need a helper, I need a Savior. So I'm going to ask you to look real quickly up here at kind of a continuum and ask you just a few questions. If you were to place an X between here, not much love, not so much love. 
You love a lot, you don't love a lot. It's easy to fool yourself into thinking you show lots of love until Jesus takes the light of truth and shines it on the lack of actions. Is what happens here. So I ask you, where would you put yourself on this scale? Here's the better question. Ask your spouse or a really close friend or your boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't care, someone really, you know, close to your parent, child, where would they put you on this scale? And ask them maybe where they see some lack. And then the next one is what I call between big debt and not so big debt. Where do you find yourself? You know, when I was, because um, I, I grew up in church, my dad was a pastor. I mean, I would kept asking myself what I need to be saved from. I seemed pretty good. Hey, for a long time, I didn't see much of a debt. So my real love was really just a bunch of, of actions of doing what I thought you should do. And then a day came when I realized how big my debt was and my debt and the understanding of how my sin impacts God and impacts other people. When that began to happen, I realized I had this huge debt before God and I needed forgiveness. And that forgiveness put me in a place where I was overwhelmed with gratitude that he could love me. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I have to share with you that I will do things that offend and hurt my wife. And um, you, I know you would never think I would be that kind of person. But anybody who's real with regard to relationships, recognize that. And I've, I've been overwhelmed over the last few years in my some years of marriage. I won't share um, how much love she has for me. And when she forgives me, it's not like, oh, well, I'm going to go and hurt her and offend her again. I am so deeply hurt that I go, God, I want to change this pattern in my life. Now, I challenge you to deep change. You have to come to a place. And there's two things you can do. One of them is, is to begin to say, God, help me see myself as you see me. Humility. The importance of humility. The other is this. It's the importance of what I call gratitude. Well, I live in such a way that I begin to start thinking about the, all the wonderful things God has given to me. I can tell you, if you move into that place and you begin to start looking at all that God has done and really get real with both humility and, gra- and gratefulness, you will begin to grow. Now, one of the things that I want to share with you as we close is this. I have such a heart for people. Um, I have a heart for the Pharisee, but I have a heart for, for the woman who caught in adultery. I have a heart for the Zacchaeus in the world. I have a heart for the lost. I have a heart for the woman who stands there at the feet of Jesus, who already knows they're condemned. And if you're already there, it's not like you need to condemn yourself anymore. What you need to do is start believing the truth that Jesus, through Jesus, His love is available for you. And begin to start seeing you through His eyes. Begin to read His Word. Begin to, in faith, realize it's your faith in who Jesus is and what He can do and how He can transform you and that he accepts you change you now someone gave me this video to watch i watched it and i thought it was really kind of interesting and powerful in many ways and i'm going to ask you to watch this here for a moment and and to let you see we sometimes folks especially i'm speaking not to the pharisee here i'm speaking to the person who feels condemnation okay we sometimes don't see ourselves the way god sees us and so i just want to watch this and we'll comment and joel and the team will play i'm a forensic artist worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them, they couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of 
protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. <laughs> what would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices in the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. I just want to um, encourage you to get friendly with Jesus. And if it means getting in a study in a group of others who can help you see yourself as Jesus does. The great thing about Jesus is he never plays fast and loose with our sin. He points it out and he tells us, I love you and I see the good in you. And he brings that good out of you. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close here. I'm going to ask you to maybe listen to these words and at a certain point if you want to sing them, please do. But the cross is all about how Jesus sees you. He sees you. And I'm speaking to the person here who knows their debt. You're forgiven. So get friendly with Jesus.